Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. I'm Toby Miller, and I am in the well-appointed, completely antiseptic, frighteningly hermetically sealed conference room at Hong Kong Baptist University. And I'm with four new friends who I met the other night, and we may have one or two others coming in. And what I want us to do is to start out with each person saying their name in whatever form they want. It could be Chinese, it could be Anglo, it could be both. And in some cases, it will be at least quasi-Anglo, or at least European, shall we say. And then talk about your experience of the Umbrella Movement very briefly, and then we'll have a longer discussion about the Umbrella Movement, socio-cultural, economic, political factors, where it's headed, where it went, what we think of it. Does that make sense? I think that's what we all discussed mm. at dinner the other night. So, with that lengthy intro... Oh, no, OK, we're starting with Daisy then. <laughs> Daisy, tell us about you. OK, so, um, well, great to be here. My name is Daisy Tam. I'm a research assistant professor here at the Department of Humanities and Creative Writing at Baptist. Um, and perhaps I'll let you guys introduce yourself before we go into oh, talking the about... Okay, sure. Are you, okay. Yeah? Uh, I'm Darren. Darren Leung. Uh, I'm an MPhil student in this department, mm -hmm. and I'm the former former members of Hong Kong Hong Kong Federations of Students. Oh, uh, really? The, okay. The leading the leading student group. Yeah. Of Occupy Movement. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, so you're the qualified person. I must <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no, do you no, think, no. could we all move this side of the mic? It might be sensible that way. Uh, okay. So we have. No, no, no. Oh, no. We, well, it doesn't matter. Now we have uh, I totally isolated Toby, another Toby, and then Bogner. Right, I'm, I'm Tobias Tusa. I'm a PhD student also at the Department of Humanities and Creative Writing. And um, I've been in Hong Kong now for, for two years, also did my master's here. Great. I'm Bogner Konyar. Uh, I'm doing my PhD here um, at the Department of Humanities. So maybe I will start and say uh, what's my involvement yeah, in the Umbrella Movement already. I only arrived in September and I was caught a bit off guard by how intense... You started it. She arrived. And <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I was caught a bit off guard by how um, intense and structured this movement appeared to mm. be. Hong Kong did not... Um, strike me as a place where such a revolution would flourish behind the walls. So I was very positively um, surprised. And also myself being from Poland in Eastern Europe, I mm. saw great affinity between this revolution and previous revolutions that we had in Eastern Europe initiated by students to um, protest authoritarian um, decisions. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I was very actively involved. I was on the ground. Um, I was almost pepper sprayed, I was tear gassed, mm. I was running around during the revolution actually um, asking a lot of people to just translate what was going on, so also experienced great bonding with people of Hong Kong who were directing me as the police Helping was you. chasing me. Oh, literally, yeah. I arrived when, um, into the middle of chaos, it was like war, so mm. I needed a translator, I made new friends on the ground in the revolution. Wonderful. Daisy? Um, I... Actually, I think, yeah, I think that was a really nice way of introducing. Um, I grew up in Hong Kong. Uh, I did my whole education here. I left for a very long time, uh, for about 10 years, um, lived in Europe, um, and was trained in cultural studies, and then returned four years ago. Mm. And um, so it's, it's about relearning. I think 
when I came back to Hong Kong to a city which I grew up in, it was very much about relearning the city as mm. as as somebody uh, whose formative years, or at least formative intellectually, um, has been done slightly elsewhere with always yeah. the sort of eye to Hong Kong. Mm. Um, during during the, the, the Occupy and the protests, I remember I was there not too far from Admiralty and um, at a... At a at a talk, and I remember reading through the news and having um, social media, and that was really primarily the the way that information was passed on. I think more than the news and everything, it was social media how 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 the news has been circulated. And I remember receiving lots of texts and messages during the talk, where um, they were saying the police have used pepper spray, um, the police have sprayed tear gas, mm. and and so that was that was really the first very concrete galvanizing moment I felt and mm. because I was already in the area I quickly left the talk and marched over to Admiralty um, to join the protesters and I think that night because 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 of the pepper spray and more than I mean prior to that there was a whole sort of Occupy, um, Occupy Central started it and that led to then that led to what we now know of as, as the Umbrella Revolution people were still undecided or perhaps quite split but the moment police used force I think that became very much a black and white issue and so that was the first movement the first galvanizing moment where a lot more people joined the streets um, and then I think after that I personally at least for me I, I felt that 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 sentiment that emotion sort of um, ebbed away a little bit and then and then kind of went into several different directions. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember the moment when it happened, yeah. I was there. It was so. very striking. Mm. And yeah, Darren? Um, I, I am I'm born in, in mainland, mm -hmm. and I go to, I, come to, I came to Hong Kong when I was nine, or ten, I, I, don't, I forgot it. And, and okay, I, I'm growing in Hong Kong and study here. And as I say, I'm the former, former members of HKFS, mm -hmm. uh, Three or two years, three years ago, when I was uh, year one in Lingnan University. Yes. And and HKFS is a is organizations of uh, university students, which is um, an alliance for for different student union to do the collaborative work mm -hmm. among among different kind of Hong Kong's social issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's very busy for that students. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And. And I'm really surprised uh, last year um, HKFS can lead, I mean, it's the first woman, um, the student, this student organizations leading a huge social movement mm. in Hong Kong. So it's really surprising me. Yeah, and, and I, I also joined this, uh, the, the uh, suspending class movement mm -hmm. I mean, before the occupying movement. Okay. And, I stayed there at the last night of, I mean, and the another night, another day is the um, they start the kick off the kick off the Occupy movement, yeah. Occupy Central, and I I saw that I mean there are many students and I mean also apart from the students there are many um, citizens who who are not uh, who are not who is the first time to mm -hmm. join mm -hmm. so called the street the street march or yeah. or Put put yeah. yeah. So it's really surprising. I mean, and and then 
at the night, I mean, at the night of tear gas, I was there, and it really shocked me that the, the police <laughs> used the gun point to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's the first time I, I experienced this kind of fear. I mean, I, I, I start to think, what, what happened in this city and mm. how's it going on? Because yeah. uh, I'm, before, I mean, before, before this moment, I was a regular, regular um, uh, activist yeah. <laughs> in social movement, in different types of social movement. But it's the first time I experienced this fear because there's, I mean, when it involves violence or mm. over violence, I, I, can't, I cannot react anymore. Mm. Yeah, because mm. I'm really afraid. You're so terrified. Yeah. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, and afterward, um, I mean, during the uh, more than six, 70, 70 days yeah. occupying moment, we start, I mean, I, I concern how, how people and how the energy of this, how people, how, how's the energy yeah. of Hong Kong's civil society going on yeah. at the post-occupying post movement era. Right. Thank you, Darren. And lastly, at least for the moment, Tobias, yeah. Um, so I think... What was very striking to me when I first came to Hong Kong in 2008, actually as an exchange student at Lingnan University, was that even at that time already in 2008, there was already the question of universal suffrage. It was something that is like very like ongoing over mm -hmm. the last decade um, because it was actually a decision that was always postponed and more postponed and postponed to, an, to a later um, time. And even at that time, it was very um, impressive to me how well organized, for example, the student unions were and, and still are and what kind of significance they play within like the, the um, organization of students mm -hmm. in, in the different institutions. Um, at that time, I was in Lingan University, which is a very small liberal arts university. Um, but um, the importance of the student union is very, very striking to me in that regard. Um, Jumping now like five years later, more or less, um, mm. after I um, went to China and coming back to Hong Kong, um, how I experienced the umbrella movement was actually, um, I was um, teaching assistant for John Ernie for, for a course in, in Hong Kong Baptist University at that time. And more or less it was during the time it was building up to this moment of, of the occupation. Mm. Um, so what we actually um, tried to do was at the beginning when um, the the students started with the glass boycott. So this was actually the, the first crucial uh, move from the students. At that time, Occupy Central hasn't even started. So they actually said that we might start at the 1st October, which is a public holiday, and then there is not much um, yeah, inconvenience for people. So it was actually something that was like never really coming to a start, but the students suddenly pushed it with this first move of glass boycotts. And so, of course, in, in, in the institutions, we thought a lot about how we support the students at that point. So, um, on the one hand, there was, of course, like the, the more the institutional guidelines from, from the presidents and so on that said it's not accepted that students um, like uh, miss classes um, and, and things like that. But what we were trying to do was actually um, take the classroom out there. So either a lot of professors actually went to the occupied sites, mm. especially during the class boycotts at the beginning to teach there, or what we did, for example, is to record the classes and put them then online um, as MP3s or video mm. files and so on. Um, and so we didn't really like and care so much about um, who is coming to class or not, but more or less about the um, 
really the, the well-being of the students. Yeah. So we had a lot of exchange with them during that time and tried to see how we can support them in that instance. Thank you, Device. One of the words that comes up again and again, along with you know things like fear, is surprise. And Daisy, since you're the original Hong Kong person in the room, um, I've, I wonder if you could tell us a bit. I mean, Darren's been here a long time too, but you grew up here from the get-go. What was it, from your perspective, that dynamized people in this way, that animated them? What was the source of the force that Darren spoke about that really surprised him, and I, I sense rather surprised you too? What was different from Hong Kong in... 1995 and Hong Kong in 2015? Um, I'd say that I'd say that the, the difference in the way people think about Hong Kong or think about their relationship to the city is that prior to um, prior to 97, so that the handover mm. uh, under British colonial rule a lot of people were just happy getting on with their everyday lives. Um, and partly because of colonial education, um, but also partly because it wasn't so much, it, it, it wasn't so much talked about, that people felt it was okay to defer power to the authorities, to the mm -hmm. government. Mm -hmm. And what I found surprising in this particular moment is that it is a very special political awakening and a political awakening of a generation that grew up post-handover. So I grew up under British colonial rule. I went to a, a Chinese, a Hong Kong school, but obviously uh, uh, very heavily influenced. We, we, we took the model of the British education system, hence my accent. <laughs> um, and... Um, and, and so I, I sort of lived through that handover period and sensed the, the shift. So now I think people actually felt, um, especially with this uh, Occupy movement, that the, the, power, the power to rule or the state and the relationship to the state is, is no longer deferred to somebody with authority, that the power resides among, in us, you know, that the people have power and has a voice. And I think that's the most... Um, Surprising. I guess that's the most, um, yeah, that's the how biggest I development in a way. Popular sovereignty. Yeah. A real, and you're nodding your head, Darren. You've yeah. you've sensed that change during your time in Hong Kong. Yeah, also. sure. Um, because I mean, before this movement, I mean, uh, especially the youth, mm. uh, like the post post uh, 80s generations, I mean, like me, mm. we we conduct different kind of social movement in Hong Kong, like the uh, like to to preserve some old, old uh, heritage or old communities. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, during the, that kind of movement, we found that, I mean, especially in this, this generation of youth, they, yeah. I mean, their sense of uh, community, sense of belonging to Hong Kong is really strong for, for us. So, I mean, to participate uh, Occupy Movement is, um, is, um, is, uh, is evidence that they really want to engage engage with the development or the decisions to making of Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Yeah. I want to throw to Bogner in one moment, but before yeah. I do, can I just question you about that? Yeah. Because one of the things that people have spoken to me about is a certain nationalism, for want of a better word, that is impelling 
some parts of this movement. And I'm noting that there are some right-wing components oh, yeah. that are anti-mainlanders yeah, and sure. so on, right? Yeah. That are also in this popular sovereignty. Yeah, because true. for people like me, reading the BBC website to learn about this or reading something from Latin America, it's all wonderful and fantastic and this is the people reaching out for representation and all the rest of it. And there are other darker sides. Is yeah, sure. Right? I mean, yeah. Even, I mean, even inside, inside Occupy Movement, there are many groups who may, I mean, those groups are very contradictory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. so yes. they keep arguing, I mean, even, even the, the lead, so-called the leader, leader, the leading group, leading role of yeah. HKFS also face some challenge or, or oppo- oppositions mm-hmm. from, from the, from the uh, people, mm-hmm. yeah, especially the right wing, we call the local group, mm-hmm. the local group, who, who emphasize the, uh, Emphasize, emphasize the local identity. Who are mm. very, who are much civilized and and deserve better life compared compared the barbarian mainlanders. Right, okay, right, right, so right. they often use this um, this dichotomy yeah. discourse mm. to differentiate what Hong Kong's or Hong Kong peoples should be and what mainlanders or mainland people should be. Right. So we should we should um, separate, totally separate from them. So um, the way I, I find it interesting, now, after, I mean, after, I mean, in the post-era, yeah. post-Occupy Movement era, is that, that, that the, I mean, this kind of group, they, they, they're very easy to mobilize people to join them, their protests mm. because they use, uh, they emphasize the so-called preserving the local culture, preserving our, our, our local space for us, not for others who, who yeah. just uh, enter Hong Kong and live mm. very quick. So it's a very, um, it's a little mandate, it's a little mandate to absorb yeah. the, the energy from the civil society. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Dave, you look like you've got something to say, let's hear from you and then I'm going to ask Progna <laughs> something if I am. <laughs> yeah? No, I think I, I really, um, I really agree with uh, what Darren just said um, and this is something that I, I find difficult to, to uh, digest or to move forward. But um, from the BBC, from the outside channel, we celebrate the political awakening of Hong Kong. We celebrate the po- uh, the popular sovereignty of, of Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong's people fighting for universal suffrage. Um, we. But what Darren says is really voices from the ground that there are a lot of contradictory voices mm. being heard and there are a huge amount for what I see as quite dangerous emotive uh, kind of pulls trying to build a sense of identity based on the rejection of the other. So what you have completely described is the mm. kind of mm. the construction of us versus them. We, the, the quote-unquote we, um, that is being understood and, and uh, used in very different ways amongst different groups. And I think the most dangerous, really, is the one that is based on ethnicity. Mm. Um, yeah. Ironic as that, that is, because obviously we are all also sharing the same ethnic sort of background as Chinese. But, but the, the differentiation that, you know, the Hong Kong versus mainland China... And in other podcasts, you've mm. you've you've mentioned also the locust, the the, the shopping, the, the kind of whole 
creating mainland Chinese as some form of barbaric, as, as Darwin says, you know, um, I think that is extremely uh, dangerous form of nationalism. It's very quick forming, it's very mm -hmm. effective because it's yeah. emotional. Um, but that's, that's just, um, I think, the ingredients for, for the other side. Okay, um, what I want to add is, um, <laughs> I mean, this, this kind of sense, this kind of very exclusive sense of local identity. Yeah. Now embedded into the policy making. I mean, yes. I mean, okay. how people support or or or, or uh, reject the policy making is that, like, uh, if the government want to pay more more uh, subsidies on the poor, on the poor, like, um, like how do you say Zhongwu? Uh, welfare. Yeah, the the welfare for to the poor and this kind of group. I mean, the local group will say we should not we should not subsidize those those poor because mm -hmm. they. They all come from mainland. They, they just want to exhaust Hong Kong's benefit. I mean, Hong Kong's uh, yeah. welfare, which we accumulate by yeah. ourselves. Yeah. We should not share with the others. Okay, you know, this is not a cultural cultural stuff. It it shifts to the policy making uh, or shift to the mobilizing the I mean the people's power to the government to the policy making. Interesting. I think if I can just comment yeah, on please. that. I think it's easier maybe to understand the anti-mainland sentiment, not to excuse, mm. but to understand if we look at the origins of social movements in Hong Kong. So, for example, especially student social movements. So, for example, yesterday I went to a meeting with uh, Joshua Wong at HKU, and he's the leader of scholarism and has been kind of hailed as the leader, the face of the revolution by a lot of the Western media. And actually, scholarism was a group formed by secondary students, anti national education project from Beijing. A national education project from Beijing, in a way they portray it, is to um, implement patriotism towards Beijing in Hong Kong schools. So, for example, students will be graded um, higher if they cry emotionally when they see the flag rising um, and stuff, very intense stuff like that. So, they <laughs> so I think when we look at scholarism and other movements like that as the origins of the umbrella movement, we can see that this kind of association of the Chinese nation and Chinese people with the communist rule became so pronounced that for, China, for Hong Kong students it might be hard to dissociate the Chinese people as individuals from what they fear from Beijing. And this is, of course, problematic, and we have to combat that, mm. I feel. Mm. The question I wanted to ask you, Bogner, and then mm. I want to ask Tobias something, if I may, was about your perceptions of Hong Kong before you came here, because you didn't expect to be walking into tear gas and guns. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what, what did you think you were coming to do? Well, I think the popular idea of Hong Kong is of a very capitalist, consumerist, and conformist culture, what I call CCC, three C's. Capitalist, <laughs> consumerist, and conformist. So even I, I think I've seen people praying good. to that on the grounds of today, <laughs> carrying prayer books. Very interesting. So I did not expect the younger generation to be so politically savvy and have such a sense of community. Um, 
My everyday perception of Hong Kong was mediated by experiences in public spaces, such as everyone looking at their iPhones, really kind of involved, not in the communal material presence in the city, but rather somewhere in an individualistic plane, yeah. something like that. So for me, the revolution, I did not follow politics of Hong Kong very closely before I came here. Mm-hmm. So I, did know, I didn't know of the origins of the revolution, if that this was been cooked up at all. So for me, this was a bomb. Well, and remember, if we go back 50 years, there are big student protests against the British colonial forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's an important history. Tobias, yeah. could I ask you about moving from Europe, I guess, to China, mm-hmm. to the PRC, mm-hmm. and then here? What did you think you were encountering, and did any of this surprise you, or did you sense some origins cooking? Well, um, Actually, when I first came to, to Beijing, um, I was working in a company that was placed on a university, a very famous one in, univers- in Beijing, called Renmin Dashe, the, the People's University. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were directly placed on campus, and the first experience I had was um, towards the, the June 4th. It was a, um, we were approaching June 4th in this year, in 2009, I believe. And um, there was a very high security um, uh, across campus, so a lot of... Um, this is Tiananmen Square. Tiananmen Square yeah, um, commemoration, exactly, yeah. um, which is totally blacked out in, in China. Um, but what I sense is that it's really just blacked out, meaning that people exactly know why there's now so much um, more security added on campus, for example. People know that it is a very sensitive day. Um, which you don't really talk about. Mm. But mm-hmm. um, it actually opened up in quite interesting discussions with, with other colleagues or people that I, I met that um, see it as an as a event that happened and that is not very much like to talk about, but still something very crucial to, mm. to the historical mm. development of the PRC. Um, but you don't really hear like a lot of critical things um, talked about this because basically also about the lack of information that is available mm. on that thing. Um, jumping now maybe to the umbrella movement, something that also discussed with Daisy the other day is um, what I thought is very striking when I just um, went back to Beijing um, mm-hmm. a few um, weeks back, was that actually I was asked a lot by um, associates and friends and acquaintances in, mm. in China, like what happened yeah. in Hong Kong. Um, so. I think that it actually really had an impact on China, on on, on people living there. Um, probably more like um, the more affluent classes that, that get like more information. But um, although they receive all this um, these media reports by CCTV and so on, which is which very much brings up the discourse that Hong Kong people are against this umbrella movement in the first place, meaning that um, it will only be portrayed as people. That there is a minority of people that um, carry on this movement, but most of the people in Hong Kong are against it. So this is the discourse that is like um, in, um, uh, introduced in China, but they not really believe in that. So they know that there must be an other side to things, and ask me a lot about mm. these kind of um, events that were happening. Of course, still with like a view on this that why um, do Hong Kong people, for example, not appreciate the Chinese more for bring for bringing money into the, into the country and for shopping here and raising the economy and so on. But still with a, with a, 
a slightly differential view, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that all points out to the question that I discussed with um, my students. I have third-year BA students. We discussed the umbrella revolution, and we talked about whether the umbrella revolution is actually a revolution or just a movement. This is the mm -hmm. question that they raised. So whether it's only focused on universal suffrage, which some students claimed, or whether it's a bigger change in how Hong Kong will politically shape itself, and then if so, what does it entail apart from fighting for the universal suffrage? Are there other elements in the struggle that should be included in the wider perception of Hong Kong politics? Of course, I don't have an answer to that. This is what But that's a great question. I've been using the word movement because that's the mm. word I've been hearing. But you've used the word revolution a couple of times. Mm. Well, I think, I mean, Bogno, what you said about the, the, the sort of how do we move forward from here? I, I think actually during, during the movement, um, we use both, I realize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think I would, I would call it still a movement um, in the sense that I feel that it, it's, it's a politics of, um, of becoming if you if you mm -hmm. like because mm -hmm. people are still searching for answers as they were on the ground they were still negotiating and that's why i think that having these contradictory voices are important because it's a form of negotiation it's a mm. form of also democratic negotiation um ones that i for example the ones i mentioned i didn't agree with but they were there and you have to acknowledge that and so um, I think that's also uh, some, something interesting. But also I wanted to go back to what you were saying about um, the history of social activism. Perhaps Darren could also say a little bit to that mm -hmm. after. I mean, yes, the, the national education has been something that, um, that this group, uh, like scholarism, like Joshua Wong, uh, emerged out of but I think there has been even in the previous five years uh, not having to go back so far out into the British co colonial rule but it, within the last five to ten years Hong Kong has seen a growing um, um, history of social movements and it's interesting because I was at a talk um, and they were charting out the the social movements um, in the past maybe five to eight years and there is a kind of changing narrative to it as well. It was at the beginning for something, for example, the Queen's Pier um, and uh, preserving the Queen's Pier. So during that particular movement, it was about this is our history. This is the place of our collective so memory. Yeah, uh, and Hong Kong identity built upon that. But there is there is a sense of that sort of... Um, anti-neoliberalization, so sort of stop developing, stop tearing down our heritage and give us back some of the, this, uh, that our history that belonged to us, um, as also a form of decolonization to something that mm -hmm. you hear also, like maybe in the 2009, the Choyun village, again, yep. these uh, local indigenous villages having to give way to this high-speed railway that is going to be built. And, and that's still very much against development, against this kind of laissez-faire economy. But then around 2011, you have then the protests against the, the double entry permits of pregnant mainland Chinese women coming to Hong Kong 
giving birth. And now, and and here, I felt that the, there were there was the beginning of this anti-China and very strong anti-China sentiment that grew and grew throughout the. If I were to very quickly chart these kind of uh, mm -hmm. uh, 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 protests, I mean, obviously, very broad brushstrokes. Then it became the anti-immigrant. Um, um, so reducing the quota for the one-way visa, so basically reducing the possibility for mainland Chinese people coming into Hong Kong and, and, and immigrating to Hong Kong and all this. And then now, this, this um, during this current movement, the, the strongest uh, um, voice of this ethnic nationalism that, uh, mm -hmm. um, that you know, we've all kind of alluded to um, became much much more foregrounded. Mm -hmm. yeah. And could I just cut in for a moment, Daisy, and check with you all? Am I right in thinking that when we use the word indigenous here, we're referring to people who can prove family presence in Hong Kong prior to the British colonization? Yeah. Is that right? That's how I understand that's, it. That's, yes. what it. that's what it's used to yeah. mean by the state and by people. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. That's fascinating. Darren, you were going right. to say Thanks something. Thanks, Daisy. Thanks, Daisy. A long recap of, I mean, the the emerging or emerged social movement after 1997. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, um, the moment, the moment anti-high high express ruling mm. is the first moment. I mean, it's, it's the moment I, my uh, political awareness. Oh, for yeah. you personally? Yeah. At that time I was uh, a high school student. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the first time I feel I, I'm, I'm not, only to think about if I can work harder, I will have a good life. But mm -hmm. also, I, I mean, I, at that moment, I, I sense I have a have a right or have a mm -hmm. authority to I mean autonomy to to change or to to affect affect the development of this city. So at that moment, many 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 youth they wear uniform, enjoy this movement after after school. Yeah, in the in the old legislative councils in mm -hmm. in central, yeah, that's my first moment to participate the social right. Movement and when you Kong. felt as though your voice could be heard, and that your opinions mattered beyond getting a better life for yourself, yeah, that there were things you could do in the world that were of importance that transcended the other very important thing, mm -hmm. which is. Surviving materially, thriving, being happy. Yeah, but not only this. I mean, not only the the sense of local identity you yeah. build up, but also to to Im, to imagine an alternative life. Because mm. at that moment we have the chance to to uh, visit the village. I mean, the so-called village communities, how they live, how they how they build up their so-called very close community uh, network in in that area. And we try to plan something on the ground. Mm. It's very, um, very fabulous for us. I mean, it's an exciting moment of awareness. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a kid yeah. or as a youth who yeah. grew up in a very urban space, we never experienced farming and this kind of uh, relationship. So uh, it, it inspired lots of us, also my friends, to, to join different kind of uh, social, I mean, civil societies like the farming group. Like um, to like the urban urban renewal group concerning group, okay, to keep different kind of so-called old quote unquote old or existing neighborhood. Wonderful. So 
it's really um, yeah, yeah. And so this is, you're, I think you're ex beginning to make me understand how this can emerge from a longer history. I wonder if we could shift continents a bit and go to, you know, the poor old world. <laughs> uh, uh, I'd love to hear how uh, Austria and Poland and other places you might want to speak about figure in this for Tobias and Bogner in terms of your own formation as intellectuals or whatever you are, football players, artists, dancers, fans of KISS, pinball machines, <laughs> however you define yourselves, you know, because you've, you've grown up in the period after the Cold War. You're the first generation to emerge as intellectuals free of the Cold War as your disciplining feature. In the same way, Darren is the first generation of intellectuals to grow up with British colonialism not being the dominant feature or a dominant feature of life in Hong Kong. Right? So these you mean how Poland shaped me as an intellectual? Is that yeah, the question? Sure. Well, okay, well, I think there's actually... It certain could be. <laughs> it could be. It's a very broad sure question. question there's a certain affinity... Um, that I see between Poland and Hong Kong, and it's because for a long, long time, a few hundred years, Poland was under occupation from various countries, um, and most recently from the Soviet Union, so Russia. So actually for only 20, uh, over 20 years, we've had um, a reappraisal of national identity, but at the same time that um, the world is radically globalizing. So for a while then, um, Poland could not really enjoy this national identity being reclaimed because it was more fashionable to become the global citizen of the world. So what we are seeing now is that a lot of Polish youths are beginning to see that, hey, this is cool actually to know my own history and to um, ease back into feeling uh, Polish or Eastern European. And I feel that this is something that is maybe similar to what people in Hong Kong are now discovering, that in the face of a rapidly globalizing world, as there are things that connect us, we also need to find things that ground us in who we are. But at the same time, on the border of us, we have um, the rise of nationalism and fascism um, in Germany and in the UK, I would say, even. So I feel that... Um, one of the most important dialogues we can have in our times is how to mediate um, between this need for personal national identity, for being a Hong Konger or being a Pole or an Austrian, and a global citizenship. Mm -hmm. I think uh, growing up in, in Austria in the like 80s, 90s, um, as you said, like after the Cold War, I think it was um, still very much dominated by um, Austrians, like both in the, in the political sphere but also in, in society, to come to terms with Austria's role in the Second World War, which was not um, still a thing that was very much um, admitted to, um, meaning this ongoing victimization of Austria um, that, that Wallace became the main narrative after the Second World War. Um, and actually in the 90s and then in the 2000s, there were a lot of things going on, artistic interventions, to talk more about... Um, the, yeah, the complicity um, of Austria in, in the Second World War. And I think this is something that has shaped me a lot in a way of like how I look back at history, um, how I look at the own like historical role that maybe my own country played in, in these um, 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 times, and yeah, what, what I could take from that um, specific moment. And I think um, what... Wallace showed me in a way like um, 
what can actually be quite positive results of this is I had a very interesting encounter once when uh, a, a friend from Hong Kong um, visited me in, in 2010 in, um, in Austria and then we went to Germany because I, I lived at that time in Berlin and um, one day we went out to uh, one of the concentration camps uh, close to, close to um, Berlin and um, after we went there, like it was a very, very, of course, touching experience um, for both of us. And um, after the whole thing, on the way back, my friend asked me, so how, how can people do this to other people? How can Germans do this? And um, what I realized in the moment is that it's maybe not only about like to ask this question, how you yeah, are able to do this, but um, if you're able to talk about it in that way as now, maybe post-war Germany has done it, um, and maybe Austria now is learning doing it. I mean, really highlighting this kind of bad sides of history. And this is something that I still like, I mean, uh, in a parallel, um, I think it's very interesting what's going on in China uh, when talking now about um, the Cultural Revolution, for example, where you have this kind of more in-depth reflection on, on history, history. But then, um, again, then coming back to like, um, um, the Tiananmen Square incident in 1989, it's very um, in, inconceivable for me that something like this cannot really be talked openly about as, as a mistake or an accident that happened in the past. And it's, it's something that um, people should like be able to discuss openly to overcome this kind of mm. attention that comes out from there. And a lot of this is still like carrying on in, in the Hong Kong umbrella mm. movement, I believe. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing that. Go ahead, please. No, it, I, I wanted to sort of, the violence of, of um, ignoring or not talking about, it cannot be equated to the violence of, of the Second World War, um, obviously, but, but I think um, what you brought out in the end, um, just not being able to talk about it or not being able to engage with it, or... Um, Dismissing it, I think that's that's something also on the other side. Uh, what I hear um, in the streets of Hong Kong that sometimes shock me. So I remember I was also we were talking about this the other day that um, in two very different environments, in a minibus of public transport in Hong Kong in a very industrial area of Hong Kong, and also in um, in a in a hair salon in the central business district. So two very different demographic groups, I would say, one very working class and the other sort of very middle class. Um, they were both talking about the umbrella, uh, umbrella revolution here, I would say. I wouldn't mind. I, I don't mind. I'm not, <laughs> because you raised it, now I'm much more careful with the use of the words, but actually, for me, it's, it's fine. Um, and they, they, they were both talking about the, they were both against the student movement and they were talking about it in very much the same way and it was a combination of these kids have never had it so good you know they don't understand what they have how lucky they are to be able to have an education to have a warm bed to sleep in and so they don't choose this is all sort mm -hmm. of paraphrasing from, yeah. from their, their, their speech. Um, so they have a warm bed at home that they don't sleep in, but they choose to sleep in the streets. Um, and, and also uh, saying that, oh, okay, now they've had their, fun, their bit of fun. It's time to go back home and study. So I think both, both of these kind of, um, 
the way that they talked about it for me is 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 actually very violent in that way because they're dismissing the movement as something of fun you know that these kids are having fun they don't know what they're doing and it's about time you know they they need to get back to work um and it this is something for me that i feel is a very um yeah it's a sort of patronizing tone to say that they don't know what they're doing mm. um and that sort of attitude i think being able to talk about it but not engaging with it because they dismiss it as something unimportant is also very uh i think it's also very damaging well can we talk a little bit about public opinion then mm. given these anecdotes which i think are very interesting and informative particularly given they come from such different sides and also what the way forward might be i think what was particularly painful for me is how the expat community um reacted to the revolution myself being an expat here in hong kong and nevertheless um i feel we should fight together for for things like that um but this was not a popular opinion in my community so a lot of expats tell me that you know we don't want to get involved if hong kong is transferred completely to china we're just going to go somewhere else which i feel was a not, not not the nicest thing to say as a lot of expats are profiting from a very um from the very freedoms that were threatened and from the very things that the students were trying to protest uh, and i would like to see more involvement as much as i don't want to see a hijacking of the movement by the expat mm. community because mm -hmm. that's a problem it's more the question of speaking with someone than speaking for someone but i feel mm. we should have more voices in protecting autonomy of hong kong because the expat that this is the group that's profiting immensely from this kind of autonomy that Hong Kong has. They should participate but not give leadership. Yes. And actually that raises the question of what I mean when I say public opinion and how one circumscribes it geographically. Uh, how important is it or was it for the revolution to be covered by Reuters, CNN, Al Jazeera, etc. to be internationalized? Uh, to give an example, a very good friend and colleague of mine in Mexico at the moment, Rosana Reguillo, an anthropologist of youth culture, a cultural studies person, is being threatened with death every day online. And we don't know whether this is being done by political groups, by gangsters, or by some other groups. But we assume, hey Charles, see, no problem, just come join us, please. We just do. We we haven't got that long to go, but we did say everybody gave their name. So could you just give your name? Uh, Charles. My name is Charles Chung. <laughs> so. Um, and you're a professor here. At assistant professor in yeah. um, Department of Humanities and Creative Writing. Great, thanks. Yes. Yeah. So just to finish this story, one of the ways in which uh, I'm just talking, Charles, about a friend of mine who's facing a series of death threats in Mexico. Uh, and it is assumed that this is because she is very active in the attempt to expose the people involved in the apparent murder and certainly disappearance of a number of young students that you've heard about the 43 mm -hmm. and this is in the country country but seen 60,000 people uh, killed in 6 years mm -hmm. over the cocaine industry so if you know people who take cocaine please tell them don't do it <laughs> because you are Uh, actively enabling torture and assassination execution and so on incarceration you name it but anyway the point of the story is that as soon as this came to light the first thing to do 
was to get intellectuals around the world to sign letters to go into Mexican newspapers because it actually has an intimidatory factor. So that's something I've been involved in while I've been here in Hong Kong, actually. So my question was, Charles, to what extent, when we were talking about public opinion, international public opinion was of any interest to the revolution or any use? Is it valuable having Al Jazeera or Reuters mm. or Agence France Presse yeah. paying attention? Or is that irrelevant? Is it really actually about forming yourselves and making your arguments <laughs> to those around you? It's, I mean, for me personally, I, the, the way you described um, the situation in Mexico, I think that's that sounded more like that the that international press took an interest, gave certain protection because the state will then have to realize as this sort of panoptic kind of pressure. Oh, you know, the world is watching, so we need to be careful. Mm. Whereas I I don't seem to have at least for me personally, felt that for the for the Hong Kong situation. It was more like a boost. Look, you know, what we're doing is is getting um, attention from the, It was an encouragement, yeah. 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 So I think I think that for me at least, that's how it felt. And it encouraged people to keep going and, and, and encouraged people to keep fighting because it's a fight that is mm. worth fighting for. And also to keep on that sort of um, the, the, the need to sort of have a, a movement that is peaceful, that has a very clear message, and that is organized in the way that you have seen it play out. One of the things Darren said right at the beginning, Charles, that had a big impact on me today was how much fear you experienced, Darren, mm. uh, at the drawing of guns, the firing of tear gas, and so on. And I wondered if we could talk a little bit about that, about mm. fear, mm. because it seems to me this is something that people tend not to talk about when they're discussing direct action, mm. that bodies are put on the line and put at risk. Yeah. Talking about fear. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Fear uh, and risk. A lot of fear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, um, I actually did not have the experience of direct confronting uh, the police, but um, every time I uh, went out. Uh, occasionally, I discussed with my colleagues uh, when, where to go, and mm. we talk about the danger or the risk of being attacked or assaulted by the police or unknown people. And I think the fear is actually very real, but most of them try to suppress it. Mm. And at least in my uh, circle of friends. Um, so, but I actually. Um, I would say it as I'm still, still, my mind is still full of the course materials that I just taught. So, <laughs> um, for me, um, uh, my feeling fluctuated quite a lot uh, because um, um, I sometimes post uh, on my Facebook um, because my Facebook have over like 200, 300 students, it's exclusively for my students. And so it's like a micro lab laboratory <laughs> in which during that period I observed and well, actually I, I'm being observed uh, um, the activities. And sometimes I, I, my fear uh, went up to an extent that I told them not to go. Yes, I admitted that. And then and these kind of things happened um, 
around all the time, like for the um, for the presidents of the university, sometimes some public important public figures, uh, the party leaders, and um, just spoke out and persuade students uh, to 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 withdraw, particularly for the for 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 the older generation, uh, like me, and and more than. Uh, 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 um, and people older than me because of the June Sorry 4th. Sorry, make me laugh. <laughs> and and, and for, particularly because of the June 4th incident, yep. massacre. Yep. Yes, that, that yeah. experience um, is very, just deeply implanted in our minds yep. um, because the massacre just burst out without any warning for us uh, Hong Kong people uh, during that period. And we were all shocked um, that so the, the Communist Party could uh, took such a drastic, unreasonable action, mm. and so many people died at that time. So it it it, it kind of it's haunting. It's, the yeah, it's, it's a very haunting experience. So yeah, I always fluctuated a lot yeah. during the movement. Sometimes mm. I, I with I I had the fear. Sometimes yeah. I, mm. uh, uh, I I did not go up because of this fear. And sometimes I told my friends not to go. And but sometimes, of course, I I just I, 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 yeah. I just went to. Yeah. No, I appreciate your sharing that as I did when Darren shared it because I think uh, all too often these things are heroized and no one's allowed to be frightened or not to do it <laughs> or to withdraw or to come and go. And I think it's really instructive for us to learn that A, there were aggressive nationalistic right-wing tendencies and B, there were pacific, peaceful, loving, open tendencies and C, there was courage, and D, there was fear. I felt, I think, um, in addition to what Charles said, I think that fear was also being confronted with the possibility of physical harm. But that was not the most, um, I was not more, I was not that scared of, of that physical, at times I would actually find that a little bit exhilarating. It's like, mm -hmm. wow, this is really happening. It's really in your face, you know, you have to get ready. You hear people shouting, you know, and messages saying, okay, they're about to come, go now. Or, you know, and, and so it, it becomes a really sort of in the moment kind of living. It's, it's, it's fearful, but it's exhilarating um, at the same time. It's, I think however, you've just exposed Daisy as an adrenaline. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Okay, yeah. I do. <laughs> she doesn't eat cocaine, she's got the whole <laughs> But then, but then the fear, and then that happens pretty much at the same time in parallel, is when families start texting you. Are and you then, all right? Are you all right? Where are you? Mm. Because I think for a lot of our students, and even for myself, it's a coming out of sorts to our family, to the other generation that have encouraged us to be obedient, you know, work hard, study well, get, you know, get ahead in life, um, you know, uh, and, and that kind of uh, attitude towards life. What happened when Amy Chua's daughters grow up? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that that fear of sort of coming out and, and having that side also, yeah. that confrontation, yeah. um, not only in the streets but also at home, becomes deeply unsettling for a lot of us. Um, for my experience, um, my parents supported uh, the students, but they for obvious reasons, didn't want me out on the streets, <laughs> you know. And how do you convince them? 
<laughs> oh well, and you supported the students, but you didn't want all your students out of the right, street. Right, exactly. This kind because of... we're all. I'm the older generation. No, but it's also about <laughs> a certain pastoral care for one another, caring for yourself, caring for the other. Yeah, I, yeah. I found the caring of each other's. I mean, these feelings is really strong at the at the space of uh, of um, of the place being occupied, and. I think I mean the way to transform the fear. The, the fear is that is that caring. I mean, mm. you know, that's the reason why people keep going. The youth they keep going to the to the to the place to the place, because they find they suddenly find we are being together. So we don't afraid anymore because you will support. I mean, you got solidarity. Support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that's why I said the sense of community is very really strong because mm-hmm. you know. Uh, some of my friends, they are not activists, but they they live okay. They live at at the at the, the place being occupied for two months, and they meet each other individually and become a become a friends group very close because they live together for twenty twenty days over twenty days. Mm. You know, this mm. kind of suddenly build up communities and they share share different kind of like like food, drinks. Like emotions, fear, yeah. So I mean, this kind of experience is very important for them to. I mean, for this generation of youth, if they join, if, I mean, if they once they join this kind of movement, they will feel actually. If we need, we will support each other. And this is very much what you were saying, Bogner. Actually, that as a new arrival, it actually was a way of meeting folks and becoming very intimate with them very quickly and Definitely. getting localized in a certain sense. Right? I feel um, to comment on the physical violence and fear that mm. there were two different types of this physical violence happening depending on location really. And the first protest in Admiralty on the 20th of September when the police was dispatched, I agree that that was exhilarating and you could see the energy of the crowd as they were facing off um, the police. But then when the protests moved to Mong Kok and the protesters started occupying Nathan Road, and actually there you could see something that was much more frightening, which was the clash of the younger generation and the older generation. And I could see the older citizens, like old angry men, like really behaving very violently towards students, punching, um, grabbing by the hair. That was something for me that was very hard to watch. That was much more dangerous than what the police was doing. It was very intimate, personalized, angry violence. So for me, that part was when I started fearing, not for myself, but for my friends who were um, Hong Kong students, for my own students. Uh, Darren was in Mong Kok. I yeah, remember thinking about there. him. And I was also very concerned because the police did not prevent this type of violence. They were not protecting um, the students from this type of physical violence. So that, for me, was very... Yeah. yeah. At the same time, I mean, I have been Mong Kong very often. But, I mean, I found... The fact I found that is there are lots of local local residents. They keep they keep going out. They keep hanging out on 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 the on the neighbor road to protect the students. And once I interview a group of uh, Thai people, yeah, yeah, they stay in Mong Kok for over thirty years, and they keep gathering and have I mean have picnic have picnic on the on the neighbor road. I ask why why you guys always be there every day every night. I mean especially especially the night. They said they want to protect the student. Actually, there are not much student there. <laughs> they just enjoy taking up the space and having a meal. No, no, no. I mean, and just and the, and the, and the, I mean, you know, in Hong Kong, they are not 
the mainstream people, like no, no, they are minorities. No. But they, they, and I mean, when they come out and they will share the food with uh, with with other Chinese people. Okay, mm. so um, I think I mean on the one hand, there are some citizens will will um, will oppose this kind of movement, but on the other hand, on the other hand, there are other kind of residents <laughs> they will come out and support and be supportive. Yeah, yeah. right. So very um, very uh, dynamic. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you know um. One of my teachers, when I study, when I study community college, she still like she always come to uh, Hong Kong and and hold and hold a stage, like talk, like uh-huh. holding the microphone for the for the uh, auntie and uncle. They they speak their feelings. Okay, speak. So wow. one case is very interesting. Is one uncle hmm. who originally opposed this kind of movement, but at the end. He turned. He turned to their sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he keeps staying, listening those protesters' speech and feelings and learning. Yeah, uh, you know, I was just recently in Chile. Whoops, and I made the chair fall down. Uh, <laughs> and I was speaking to somebody who was in school when the presidential palace was being bombed by the fascists in 1973 in the CIA-backed coup. Mm-hmm. The school was next door to the presidential palace, so bombs are going off everywhere, planes are flying over, strafing them, completely terrifying. She went home that night and there was a disagreement at the kitchen table between her parents uh, over what the coup meant. And the one parent was saying, well, we need order because these communists are fucking everything up. And the other parent saying, we can't have the military running the world. Complete disagreement. A few days later, they're next-door neighbor whom they loved was disappeared, taken away, never came back. Transformation. Suddenly it becomes much... It wasn't personal enough when their daughter was being bombed, but it became very personal when their next-door neighbor has gone forever. And the family came back together agreeing, we can't have this. It doesn't matter how much chaos there was with communism or, you know, whatever Allende was. State, some kind of socialism popular democratic socialism in Chile. It doesn't matter how chaotic it was and how many contradictions were created. Uh, what's happened next door is unacceptable. Right? And, and I think this is like the wonderful example you just gave us of a, an, an elderly family member, an elderly person in the group, staying and listening and thinking again. You know? so, I wondered if we could move on to something else which touches on what Charles introduced which is this social media component okay. uh, you mentioned the Facebook page and I think actually it was also referred to by a couple of other people including Daisy in terms of sharing of information, they're coming, this is where you should go, get out of there, are you alive we love you, come home, whatever it might be could you tell us a bit about how everything from text messages or SMSs, whatever we call them, through to Facebook, Twitter, whatever, what part they played, both in these interpersonal bits of information, but also in campaigning, making arguments, and so on. I have a very good example for yeah? for we talk about the social media. Like, uh, no, during during the very uh, very patriotic period, like uh, we always, I mean, people always send. Different message or voice message to to warn to give warning. Like a place is very dangerous. The police come or the police will clear tonight, so we don't go to there tonight and and leave. 
Okay, but you know, lots of those voice messages are unconfirmed. Yeah. So and then, uh, I have a group of I have a chat chat group who come from different uh, social party, social groups, social concerning groups. Um, we we doing the source checking, we checking, yeah. and we I mean like in that group we are have over hundreds of people, and we. We will keep reporting. I mean, if some unconfirmed news come up, and we will send some people to there, and we check the news is is it real or not? Yeah, yeah. So this kind of uh, I mean, it will not happen in the mainstream media, but we we do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So so during during uh, Occupy Movement, there are different independent media comes up like uh, Resistance Online. Like uh, like uh, the the USP and social records, mm-hmm. yeah, different different kind of independent media comes up and become the major source of news and and situation sharing, yeah, and they have to double confirm situations, yeah. So, um, yeah. It's really interesting. It's very know? interesting. It means uh, people are becoming like journalists or scholars. In seeking multiple confirmation through sources, <laughs> citizen journalism, and citizen journalism, but for what? For each other, mm. yeah, as much as for general publication. It's definitely, for me, the source of news during the whole movement was Facebook. There were so many groups emerging, especially with translation for like what's going on, translating into English. So that saved my life, literally. That page, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because. Uh, because yeah. a lot of pages would have like coordinates where to go, what's going on, like where yeah, the police yeah. is coming um, from. But it was all in Cantonese. Nothing in Polish. It was all in Cantonese, apart from like the one page who's translating that for like five experts going in the area. It's like you guys are amazing. That's You're incredible. saving. That's <laughs> You're saving my life. I'm curious, Darren. Uh, so um, you were using Twitter, not Twitter. Chat, I mean, chat groups. Fire oh, no, chat. No, uh, the, fire chat was the one that everyone. No, fire chat is very dangerous because some are blocked, right? Yeah, some are blocked. Everybody can join the group, so it's very dangerous. Mm. We use uh, Telegram. And phone oh. communication was blocked yeah. on the day of um, yeah. the police dispatching, so I couldn't contact my friends who were in the actual yeah. the hottest Telegram spot. Was it was blocked. And the network was so busy that fa- actually mm. getting onto Facebook wasn't something you right. could do when right. you were on site. But Telegram worked. Yeah. yeah. Kind of thing. So for you, you just mentioned over 100 people yeah. in, in a group. Yeah. So they are all your friends? Uh, not. Uh, but they are confirmed. I mean, we. I mean, my friends confirm me. Spies. There's no spies. I mean, they use the way to like. Uh, if I join the group, I, I'm invited by my friends, right. and every everyone is invited by friends. Okay. So mm-hmm. this type of language to make sure we are safe. There's no spies in, in that group. Yeah. But I think and that, everyone yeah. has to uh, introduce who who mm-hmm. come. I mean, mm-hmm. come from where mm-hmm. and which organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there were like two two moments where like um, two other social media platforms became important. The first one that was like Fire Chat, what we mm-hmm. talked before, was when actually the network was switched off. Yeah. And Fire Chat works through Bluetooth as well, so yeah. it was like a way to forward messages mm. in an area where actually the, the through a local was area not. network. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So building yeah. up like your own network. The yeah. other thing with um, Telegram, I think it 
um, was introduced when there actually were more and more rumors that the police might um, like read WhatsApp yeah. messages or can like spy on that. Mm -hmm. So people turned away from WhatsApp, which is the dominant um, like instant messenger in, in Hong Kong, yeah. to Telegram where you actually can encrypt your, your communication. So I think that was the main reason why yeah. the shift happened. Interesting. Yeah, and Telegram, the download rate, the pass <laughs> at that period and in the App Store. Were there agents provocateurs? Were there people, it's been suggested to me there were some from the triads uh, who were doing the work of the state by in fact upping the ante, by making things more violent within the protests? There were price lists going around. Mm. I think that kind of went viral for both sides, I have to admit. But um, yeah, there were price lists for creating chaos um, um, in, in, in the occupied sites. If you create chaos and uh, can take a photo, you get a, a bit more money. If you can catch it on video, you get even more money. Um, God, well, I could be very wealthy. All I have to do is walk into lecture theatres and every, the entire course falls apart. So, wow, this is my future. So, the left and right, right wanting to urge on more madness in order to increase a reaction and legitimise a reaction from the state. Left wanting a more anarchistic approach. Um, more anarchistic in, in what sense? Well, one that isn't about trying to gain approbation in any sense from the state or from the media and one that is not trying to get democratic political change but is wanting a breakdown. Um, have you guys received any ones on the, on the, for the left side or the yellow Yeah, one? I only experienced on one side. The blue so open side, the Chinese. Yeah, well I saw it in Hong Kong where you could see there was direct cooperation between the police and people who were causing trouble because yeah. for example there would be um, one uncle with a blue ribbon causing a lot of trouble sure. and trying to kind of provoke people to violence and the students were chanting kind of remain calm, remain yeah. calm, we're not getting into that. So they would call the police and they were like, this guy is attacking us and the police was like, okay, we're going to take him away and you could see them like just letting him go the next street or just like putting him into a taxi somewhere. So you could see there was direct cooperation. So they were agent provocative. And spies also? Yeah, of course, because yeah. I... I experienced, I mean, a group of gangsters, a local gangster, uh, a child, they, mm -hmm. they, are, they are employed by, by, I don't know, but they are employed and to, yeah. to case the chaos, yeah. Yeah, to make the noise which um, influenced the local residents at the night, at the midnight. Right. Yeah, so they keep running around and to hit them, I mean, to, to, to scold on the police. But coming back to like um, the question of fear and spies in that regard, I think yeah. it was also um, a main reason for mainland students here who like um, are doing a master's degrees here or have lived here, uh, living here now, working here, um, to actually not engage with with this demonstration in the first place because the, there was really a, a very imminent fear among them that there are spies around them that they might get troubles. For back the families home. back home. That's true. Yeah. According to my exactly, students, exactly. Mm. Try, uh, from mainland. Yeah. Yeah. It the, must the, the lines are being taped and followed. Well, it must be said that the students from mainland who joined the protests are.
very brave. I have a very dear friend who was protesting with me. I hope she listens to this high. Um, and she, she said that, okay, I can go with you to the front lines, but nowhere near the mm. photos. Because mm. if my parents see me, if anyone sees me, there's no way I'm going back into the mm. mainland. Like the consequences would be tragic for me. So, uh, I mean, at a much more trivial level, I, in order to make it clear that this goes on elsewhere as well, I should say that in the United States, the Motion Picture Association and the Recording Industry Association of America pay student spies to identify those people who are illegally downloading oh. music <laughs> and movies <laughs> and then name them so that uh -huh. the parent organizations, the MPA or the RAAA, can then go to universities and complain about them, and in some cases so that lawsuits can be taken against these students. So. Yeah. Spying is everywhere. Yeah. I met a guy once who used to be the deputy head of espionage in France. And he told me, this was about five years ago, there were 10 million spies in the world. Five million of them were Chinese. And probably 90% of them were doing industrial espionage. Uh, as opposed to state security stuff. Really, this is what the game's about. But I remember thinking... Five million Chinese spies. I know there are a lot of people in China, but this that's person. a lot of spies. <laughs> Where are they? I am. Um, sorry, what, 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 what um, apps that you mentioned? Telegram. Telegram. Yes, I, <laughs> he I, he's doing download. it. <laughs> downloading it. This, entire, this podcast is going to be I, a testament to Telegram. <laughs> I, 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 I did not use it. Um, mm. I wonder if Daisy used it. No. Yeah, we just use WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people with PhDs use WhatsApp, even when <laughs> even when there's a crisis. Only people who don't have PhDs are, are sufficiently de uh, distant from the state to say, "No, I want you know triple encoding of every move I make." No, no. I think it, it points to um, very uh, a very interesting question. Uh, so, did you use Telegram as well? Um, but, yeah, for for certain communications, yeah, yes. But why? Because um, you feel you found that not only to uh, endanger myself, but more more so not endanger other people that that you're talking to. That you're, yeah. Because I also was traveling between mainland and Hong Kong oh, as well. So, you, you, so there was a lot of course for the communication. And did, so, yeah. can I ask whether you two felt as though you might be a bit safer than others because you yes. were white European, whatever oh, term we definitely. used? Definitely. I was like, I had a plan at some point to get arrested yeah. so just so that I can get attention because I'm white, like nothing will happen to me. So I was very, uh -huh. very sure. That take me, put, like, choose take me. me. Don't take them. Yeah, like, I'm going gonna, gonna to create a snare like yeah. Poland. <laughs> Poland will get involved. Did you feel the same to that maybe you had more of a license than your colleagues and friends who were Asian, Chinese, whatever mm, term we use? Not so much, actually. Like, no? I was more afraid that... Um, so I was more or less um, keeping in, in the distance and the back in the, during the movement because first I was afraid that um, I was jeopardizing this whole, um, this whole movement in a way because there was a lot of discussion about you know, foreign intervention. Yeah, and yeah. this kind of foreign, yeah, not to hijack, foreign involvement, in this. which so was a claim made by exactly. the government. Yeah, yeah, officially made by the government. So yeah. Siva learned right. Still so you that. wanted to have a back seat, exactly, mm. so to to take like um, the, the the safe um, um, path in this way. Um, on the other hand, um, I think for still for foreigners living here that um, are still like temporary visas, limited visas. 
it still becomes an issue in, in taking part in the front line. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if I'm here, for example, on student terms, being arrested is a case of actually deportation. Right. Um, so did this this place yeah. no but also I talked with a lot of other like exchange students yeah. and it became a reason in a sense that um, maybe we, we don't go to the front line so mm -hmm. Bogna was very fresh in that <laughs> no, I was like I, I was <laughs> not she was fresh off the boat she didn't know that she was left and right I didn't know what was going on <laughs> so, um, but I want, I want to just comment that um, um, this is important for people who want to empathize with all kinds of social movement where we are not the core part of the movement. And I feel that during the protests after um, connected to Eric Garner and the whole I Can't Breathe movement in the mm -hmm. US, I have a, a friend who's um, an African-American and she felt that going to those protests surrounded by white people where she was the only one kind of mm -hmm. shouting for herself, this was a very... Um, not a frightening experience, but it didn't feel right because it was supposed to be a moment where there's a voice for people who usually don't have a voice. And white people have a lot of voice in contemporary politics, so of course we don't want to take away that opportunity to speak. So, uh, could I bring back to the point that I raised um, by Darren, use of Telegram? I did not use it, and Daisy did not use it. Uh, I, I think it kind of points to a problem that I, I, I am interested in. Um, I'm not sure if I can... I, I'll try my best to elaborate it. Mm. Uh, I think they are the core people. Um, they're, they're, they're real participants and very active protesters during the movement. So they, 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 they use the telegram. I think most of the people in... Um, 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 during that period, uh, most of the Hong Kong people, um, um, they just use Facebook. So they are living in uh, three or four worlds. One is uh, the virtual worlds um, 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 of the web, because it is so useful for them to coordinate uh, real actions um, in, in, in the movement, mm -hmm. avoid danger and clear up um, wrong information. Um, and they also use Facebook for information, but you do not, I think you did not really be totally uh, rely on Facebook being yeah. the source of We share the news, we share the confirm yes. to yes. Facebook. Yes, uh, uh, I think the, the, in, the importance of the umbrella movement um, for more majority of the Hong Kong population is um, that um, they, this is the first time that they use Facebook uh, to learn um, um, the issue of them um, direct election uh, of chief executive and democracy here mm -hmm. in such a um, um, intensive way, uh, because according to statistics in Hong Kong, it's only only five percent of the people using in uh, those called so-called independent news websites um, that Darren mentioned, like Social Record, like BJ Media, like independent media. So very very minority of people actively using it all the time. So during the Facebook. Uh, during the Umbrella Movement period, what I observed is um, before the Umbrella uh, Movement period, mm -hmm. many of my students just talk about fashion, uh, where to go shopping, where to eat, and suddenly it turns into uh, a, a gigantic news curator and with all kinds of information uh, of all sorts and related to the movement, like uh, um, DIYs 
I just wrote down some things that mm-hmm. I, I remember. DIY citizen journalism monitoring the government, uh, like um, 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 interrogating the mainstream journalism, how they work, if they work good or yep. bad. And this kind of information just all uh, just suddenly appeared and last for over two months. And this is a very, very sudden change in my many, many years of using Facebook. It never occurred before. Mm. But uh, I think for most of the people who did, who are not as involved as you guys, mm. just stay at home and, and think about the issue through Facebook. And so I think... Um, 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 Facebook is a, is a, is a, has, a very, has a very important role to play during the movement for mm. those who are not active but want to think about this issue very seriously. Um, and they are quite different from you guys. They, they just use WhatsApps and not Telegram. They're not as sophisticated as you technically uh, speaking. Um, so um, this one of the points that I want to say. Yeah, but yeah. they're playing a part. Yeah, but yeah. because it's in interconnected, because we are underground. Yeah. But in the surface, I mean, the the information circulated in Facebook is is made by us, you know. Yeah. So there's there's not a complete separation yeah, between yeah. these it's two because just people don't know there's a there's a group operate in this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but it's I mean we keep it in, in secret because uh, because we I mean because we. Yeah, I mean, in the group, people in the group is not very famous people in in the in the Occupy movement. Yeah, but we work in uh, social movement for a long time. Mm. Yeah, so we often, I mean, in general, we know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we keep doing this kind of backup job yes. for for move for push for push people to go out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, just uh, clarify things. Uh, the reason that I said what I have said is because uh, I read, um, it seems that some literature uh, more interested in saying about uh, uh, the importance of social media um, for the active participants uh, during the protests and talking about real-time uh, on-the-spot coordination of protests, uh, taking uh, actions and things like that. I think uh, one neglected area that yeah. is about how they influence the majority of the public. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, that, that's, that's what I wanted to say. I mean, I find it really interesting that, yeah, the role of technology um, that, that you mentioned and how uh, I think more tech-savvy people would, would, be, would, would take care of, you know, um, of choosing the applications, uh, ones that choose ones that are encrypted more than others um, and to choose something that works with Bluetooth rather than say dependent on the 3G or the 4G network I mean these are all things that enable or disable a a movement uh, I think but in terms of the Facebook I mean I I don't know if that that is certainly one of the most common social media platforms there are in the world but I also feel that um, it's only open to a certain extent. Yeah. Like, for example, me, I was always kind of, you know, in a, in, I would say, bubble. Um, to a certain extent, I, I was surrounded by people uh, who thought more or less in the same way as I did. So when I encountered the people who were 
speaking directly against um, the students because I encountered them in public transport, in public spaces, it shocked me to a certain extent. I mean, shocked in the sense that I was, I was um, not used to having that in my... In my that here, not used to having that in my environment because I was surrounded by people who oh. thought a bit like me. So I guess I, what I'm saying is that Facebook is open to a certain extent, but only through it's still through personal networks. It's still very much based on your encounters, your who you know, who you're in touch with, and the people. Um, it's not necessarily one that could reach very much beyond your existing. Yes. Uh, network, I would say. Yes. Right. Well, something that my students mentioned also is that they were using Facebook because their parents are not on Facebook, so they can. They <laughs> but can they are voice now. That maybe <laughs> they are not, so they can openly voice um, some opinions that they would not perhaps so openly voice at home in support of the revolution. Which also brings me. So the question, so my students said that we were discussing Marx and structures of revolutions and they said, well, this is not really um, a revolution based on economics or the division of labor, not at all. And they said it's more based on a generation gap and a shifting paradigm between generations. So I wonder why, this is a question, uh, I wonder why this current generation in Hong Kong, like what, what, what are the most transformative moments that caused them to be able to produce such social movements as we mentioned, like anti-highway speed and all of that, like where exactly the paradigm shift happened? It seems you're the best person. <laughs> all right, I'll, if you ask me why, why young people, they, they participate more and more compared to the older generation. Yeah, why this particular generation? Like, mm. what shaped this generation? Like, what gave them the ability mm. to challenge the system? Maybe, um, the... Okay, there's a, a, a phrase we call, we have nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, we are the young generation, we have nothing to lose, especially you are students. You are not working. Yeah, so... I mean, that's the main, main is one of the reasons they they can they can um, beyond they can beyond the material the material limitations compared to the people who are working or the people who who have already enjoying the benefit. But can I can I interrupt on that score? I'm sorry, okay, I just walked yeah. back in after a quick trip to the restroom. <laughs> but I gather what you're saying, yeah. Darren, is that students have less at risk, so they can take more risks. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask, though, whether or not that plays out right across the student body? You know, in other words, do you have people involved who are engineers, mm. business majors, yeah, yeah. chemists, yeah. political scientists, cultural studies? Is it across the board, across disciplines? Yeah. It is. There was nothing... Yeah. I found it. Restricted. That, that surprises me. I yeah. asked. It's a delete because yeah. I'm always yeah. hoping there's a. Because I always want there to be a cultural studies revolution. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. It's very minor. It's very minor. Oh, no. All right. That's it. Yeah, we're, yeah. That's it's it. We're, we're, we're stopping recording right now. It's all over. We don't, I don't want to hear this. You mean, um, yeah. I, uh, in, in MOT, I meet a group, I mean, yeah. three girls who study economic and finance. Yeah. 
right. they the finance girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they <laughs> and they uh, make the yeah. postcard. I mean, they uh, this collect people's um, pictures on 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 the scenes of mm-hmm. uh, Occupy Movement, and they make it into into postcard. Wow. And and. And oh, but then they sell them. That's why they're no, the no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, They're free to get people, and they even yeah. they use money to print it out, and wow. then yeah. they also will help you to post it. Yes, freely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. they, I mean, they uh, keep uh, keep sitting on the keep sitting staying on uh, staying at uh, MOT and doing this kind of uh, artwork. I I would say. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And people, I mean, people will ask and to participate their their workshops. It's very interesting. That's very exciting. Is, yeah. it, is it really your is it really your question that that, that, that surprised you that um, people look a little bit, Charles? Because in the United States, it tends to be the case that, for example, in student movements around labor in universities, and in particular the way in which graduate students are paid. There's a big differential between what you get if you are at a research one university. Mm. Thank you very much, Daisy. And you are in the chemistry department and you're on a chemistry grant. You might be getting double the pay of somebody in communications. So what this has meant is that when there are student movements to do with labor relations, there's a big Mm. division. And the people who are getting paid double, this really does make Darren's point, I guess, just say students are being looked after you're here to study, oh, we're doing yeah. an apprenticeship, we're lucky to be doing some teaching, stop complaining, don't try oh. to form a union, what is wrong with you, right? And that's, been, that's a very real uh, issue. The other thing is that in terms of political opinions in the United States, the political opinions of people in the humanities and the soft social sciences tend to be very far to the left of people in engineering or physics or business schools. I see. Right? Yeah. Sorry, uh, because I have to leave to meet the dean. No, Maybe not I, at I all. Just, I just say a few words. That's uh, fine. And before you go, I'm gonna, I want to take a group photo to illustrate with this. Okay. So, no, keep Great. talking. Uh, and then as soon as uh, Bogner is back, if, we can, if I can get a photo of all of you, that's going to be great, because sure. I need to have an illustration for this. But, Charles, please, before you go off your important decanal meeting, no, 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 he's no, wearing no. his special decanal hat. <laughs> this is the hat. It's a very no, fine always. hat, which people will see shortly. No, ah. I'll get someone to take the photo so we can all be in Oh, I don't, you don't need me in it. Yeah, sure. No. sure well, we so Charles has to go to a meeting. We're going to do the photo before he has to go. But anyway, sorry, yes, you yeah, wanted yeah, to terrorize. Please, point. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you're saying about division or students uh, more encountered to, uh, to be uh, uh, from humanities or, yeah. or social sciences or yeah. all that. I've, it's based on the assumption that um, like, um, people studying humanities or social science would acquire well, more critical knowledge about the social situations in which they're in or the current economic environment. But I think for us or for the younger generation, there, take the photo first. No, keep, no, <laughs> we, we keep well, no this it. is to show that cultural studies PhDs can talk <laughs> and, and, yeah. and be photographed at the same Simple time. Simple point. Their differences yes. are from the immediate social environment that they experienced directly. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't matter what subjects that you study. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, one more. One, Thank two, you. Three. 
so Thank you very much. much. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. One more. Oh, no, no, this is Daisy's version. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. One, two, three. <laughs> one more. One, two, three. Good. That's okay. And that's going out on WhatsApp. <laughs> on or Facebook, Snapchat. Or Snapchat. everywhere. Snapchat. <laughs> very good. So, but, 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 but yeah, carry on, on the other hand, Thank you very on much, the other hand, there are actually worse division because if yeah. there were not, the, 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 the entire Hong Kong would just fl flooded by all the young people. Not every young people participated in the movement. So I think there, there, there were actually division. And um, this is my educated guess that yeah. uh, 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 the more wealthier kids yeah, um, with better social background, uh, maybe less likely to join the movement. So does that mean disadvantaged. fewer from HKU as most it's the elite university, so. Hong Kong university? Fewer than H from a smaller proportion from HKU than, than Lingnan. Say, mm. would that be right? Do you think? I, I'm not sure. I, okay. I, that's my guess. I, I I don't think so because no? uh, I mean, as I said. Um, because sorry, okay, okay, okay. okay. bye, bye, Charles. Thank you for dropping in. No, but look, no, sorry, when you get a, a megastar who's taken from course to dean, but manages to make time for the <laughs> common people to share his Thank insights. You. Thank you for, <laughs> it's for great to see you again, too. Charles. Yeah, to see you okay. Again. Okay. Yeah. Um, see you. Because you know, um, participate the participation of occupying movement become mm. become uh, a symbol. Yeah. Or fashions, you know, at a certain period, become a fashions. Mm -hmm. If you don't participate, <laughs> you're, you're so conservative. What's wrong with you? You're out of it. Why you're aren't you conservative in touch? and no. stupid. No. Because it becomes, yeah. you know, yeah. participation in this movement that doesn't need any uh, very critical critical thinking, actually. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. It, because we become a, a, an identity, to show off your identities, you're liberal or conservative. I, I find that. I mean, mm. this moment. So that's why um, the divisions of uh, discipline is not the case. Not, it doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. I wonder if maybe to finish off, uh, each of you might make a little statement, mm. if you feel like it, about whatever topic you wish. But perhaps you could address the question of why you think it started and why you think it ended. And maybe you think it hasn't ended. I don't mm. know. No, yeah, I certainly don't think it's accurate. All right, well, it sounds like you should start then, Daisy. <laughs> I think, um, wow, it's not easy, actually, <laughs> these one-liners. Um, I think it is. <laughs> I think we can allow two or three lines. <laughs> Tobias, do you think we can allow two or three uh, lines? Yeah. I think so. The old world over here will allow two or three lines. Um, I think this has seeded... Um, I think, okay, change, I, wow. <laughs> Language, it's a virus. <laughs> Terrible. Um, it's, it's not something that will happen overnight. I think this has seeded and perhaps is the fruition of some of the previous movements, as we have mentioned mm. before. Mm. Um, but it certainly continued uh that movement, and I think that's why I, I seem I, I like to think of it as a sort of becoming because it's it's not there is no clear goal ahead. That's part of the difficulty. That's part of the tension. But that's also part of the drive to keep going. Um, we know that this round is not going to bring about uh, a lot of concrete changes. Mm -hmm. Hong Kong people know that, but. 
this doesn't mean that. Um, I mean, Aka Abbas said, you know, it's it's a it's a politics of despair, but it's not a despairing politics. It means that we know we're not going to get it, but we're still doing it. We're still continuing, um, and that in itself, it's it's a movement, and it and we try to form what's about to to happen. And I think that's that is. Uh, I think that's that's what's important for me. Yeah. So I don't Wonderful. see the movement as being uh, that, that. I don't see this as an end. I see this Great. as the, end, the beginning. Tobias, um, I think like even though it's like not associated very often, but um, given the name Occupy Hong Kong and everything, I think it's still very much linked to the international discourse that was going on about Occupy in the first place, meaning that. Um, I think it now actually built up over a long time in, in Hong Kong, we actually could feel, and especially long, young people could feel, about the amazing pressure that is put on them in terms of um, housing situation yeah. that gets much more unaffordable, in terms of the educational pressure that you have, that you might have to go into student debts, your parents have to do that, and you have to pay it back for several years, and um, the, the employment situation. So it was a lot of things that actually were building up, and at the same time, you have this immense wealth gap in Hong Kong um, that is one of the highest in the world, right? Um, developing economies. Highest right, Gini right. index in developing exactly. economies. So um, I think like all this played into that and actually it's not so far off from what other um, movements tried to do. And actually there was like an Occupy movement before in Hong Kong, right? Underneath the HSBC bank for like, it was long, right? A year? How long yeah, did they stay a, there? A year. Um, which, yeah, it was very small in yeah, that regard, but um, um, still I think like a lot of the, the main issues actually carried on from there. Well, first of all, um, I feel very humbled by this movement as um, an observer, and I, I feel very grateful to have been able to participate, mm -hmm. and I'm learning so much from my Hong Kong friends about the history and what's exactly going on. And on a personal level, I kept thinking during this revolution about something that doesn't seem so significant, but for me is, which is the relation between the people and the city and how little changes of affect towards the city space and the community can really bring on change in a larger scale. So for me, the moments where I could see the people occupying, taking their own city into their own hands, and wandering through those empty streets, debating politics, and really connecting with um, the material, the physical material of the city. For me, that was revolutionary, maybe on a molecular little level of affect. That's something that I keep thinking about, that even if it's not profound political change at this moment, mm. it still made effective change for so many uh, young people here. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be very formative for them as a generation. And Darren? Yeah, I'm also looking for the long-term yeah, change. Um, if you if we recognize uh, there is a there is a huge excess power, excess energy left by left by occupying movement. I mean the people. Mm. Yeah, they want to engage the political stuff or engage the social transformation. Yeah. Then we we do we do need figure different kind of discourse or context to transform this energy. I mean, into into sustainable development, you know. If I mean, <clears throat> because I'm, um, at this 
moment after after uh, Dr. Pai movement for two months, three months, yeah. And I sometimes I feel very frustrated because the energy only can shift the right wing's uh, propaganda mm. yeah, to 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 express their their desire or identity through excluding the maybe unreal or unexistent others. Mm. Yeah. So, but during the moment, some some people who have been have long been suppressed. At that moment, they be, they keep being being suppressed by the mainstream people, by the poor in Hong Kong. Well, thank you so much, Charles. Now absent, <laughs> Darren, <clears throat> Bogner, Daisy, Tobias. You've given all our listeners resources of hope. To quote the title of a wonderfully titled Raymond Williams book, you've given us all resources of hope and belief in the goodwill the organization, the spontaneity, and the sense of pleasure as well as seriousness that has animated and dynamized this place, Hong Kong, over the last few months. I want to thank you for that. And I hope that when real popular sovereignty comes anywhere in the world, we'll all have a chance to enjoy it and we can get together and record something again. So thank you very, very much.